and welcome back to episode number two. We're very happy to have you back if you're already a returning listener. So all the new people, welcome as well. My name is Beata and my co-host is named Alexandra. Today's Hello. episode... <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Today's episode is going to be a, probably a bit more intense, but we really thought that it's necessary for the two of us to really do a bit of a deep dive into describing what this invisible disability is that we've been referring to, because it doesn't really help if we just continue talking about um, these strange foreign concepts, but we really wanted to try and describe it in, in as much detail as possible and also give you like examples of what the things are that we face on a daily basis. And we might even look a little bit back into some of the earlier months just after our injuries. Yes, and it's, that is so important, right? I think uh, people maybe relate better once once they hear the details and also for those that are actually listening and are living with a brain injury or for those that are caring for someone that has a brain injury I think it's uh, uh, probably something they will relate to and also uh, even if they have other symptoms I think the you know every brain injury is uh, very unique but I think the main things are there for everyone uh, but before yes. we go into that uh, deep uh, and touching subject, I think it's important to say again uh, to everyone what a brain injury is for those who mm. haven't um, experienced one and what a stroke is, because we both both of us actually had um, strokes. Uh, we mm. uh, podcast that there are two types of stroke and you had the one and I had the other yes. experience <laughs> representing <laughs> representing the but I put together you know some small um I don't know description I guess mm-hmm. I would call it about uh what a stroke is and um some uh, uh you know statistics that I found which we will include in the in the link below the podcast so people mm-hmm. can look at the details for themselves uh, but what actually is a stroke? Well, you know, essentially it's a, a brain attack, um, you know, and it, and it happens when the normal blood supply to part of, a, of the brain is cut off and mm. it kills healthy brain cells, which happened yeah, in our case, uh, because the brain is not properly oxygenated. Um, if it's not detected soon enough, then it can be very, very serious with complication, complications, including even uh, death. Um, luckily, so I think, you know, yeah. we are, we are still We're here. <laughs> yeah, we can do this podcast. But... I just want to explain to people, cause I think on a very mm-hmm. simple level, you have to remember that the f- blood flow in your body carries oxygen to all of the different parts in your body. And that is something yes. I didn't even always think about, right? You need oxygen in every single part of your body, but your brain is obviously I think it uses something like 20% of the oxygen that you inhale, if I remember correctly. That's true. I remember so, the same thing. Yeah. So it's your brain really needs a lot of oxygen. And if it doesn't have oxygen, think about you holding your breath, right? You're going you're gonna to die at some point if you don't get oxygen. And the same happens to your brain. So sorry, I just yeah. quickly wanted to 
be no, even more very, simple. <laughs> that's very true and good that you mention it. And um, I wanted to say something, and, and now I, I forgot that part, but <laughs> but I'll come back to it when I Sorry remember. About that. Uh, no, you know, it happens to us very often. That's one of the things that yes. I think it's you know one of the obvious most um, common. <laughs> most common things that happen. Uh, one of the other things that I wanted to mention is that I looked into some uh, percentages about uh, how, uh, what are the percentages when it comes to uh, each type of stroke. Mm. And I saw that 85% of them are, uh, is it pronounced ischemic? I don't ischemic, even know I think is their correct. Uh, is- ischemic. Is- 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 yeah, ischemic. Ischemic strokes. That's my type. Yes. Yeah. That's indeed your type, and it seems to be more common. Mm. I had no clue about it before I looked up these percentages. And then 15% are hemorrhagic, so like a, like I had, and that's mm. like a, a, a brain bleed, like a bleeding in the brain. Mm, mm. So ischemic, 85%, hemorrhagic, mm. 15%, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious for, for those listeners who actually had a stroke, um, uh, what, which which type did they have? Maybe they can let yeah. us know in the comments yes. their experience. And I'm very happy that, you know, they're still here with us to comment. Mm, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and for those um, listeners who actually, you know, uh, don't uh, have anyone close to them who had a stroke and don't really know what a brain injury is, um, just to quickly explain... Um, what it is and what it can do to someone. Mm. Uh, obviously, we had strokes, which means um, something, uh, a stroke happened to us and then we were taken to the hospital. But what we are left with is a brain injury. Um, the stroke mm. was treated like in your case, you know, the blood clot was um, dissolved. dissolved. Mm. And in my case, you know, the, the, the blood went away and they treated me for that. But I think that uh, the brain injury is the more permanent thing, uh, what we are left with. That's a good explanation. Probably forever, yes. right? So the accident is the stroke, but what is yeah. left is the brain injury, which is, yeah, it's a very good way of saying it. Yes. It's, it's weird because in my language, like my, my mother tongue, mm. there isn't even a word. Brain oh, really? Injuries. <laughs> so it's so strange that I cannot even um, talk I to someone and Afrikaans tell what I have. Is very similar to the Dutch, Dutch. which is maybe um, you have the Herselletzen. Letzen, letzen, or letzen in, in Afrikaans is like a marking. So mm-hmm. it's like a brain marking, like a almost like yeah. a uh, like a what is it called when you have a wound on your skin and you can still see the the marking left. That's Scar. a letzen. Yeah, a scar, right? A letzel is a scar. Oh. Yeah, so yeah, because in Dutch it's herseletzel. Mm. So uh, they have at least a word for it, but in mm. Romanian, there's no word for it. Or That's at least so not a word strange. that I know. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, mm. just how, how medicine works there. There's how do you, not a... <laughs> it's going to be difficult explaining your family back home, like what happened, um, and then afterwards talking about it, because you have to almost think of an, your own word of calling it, right? It's yeah, it doesn't exist there. So they will think it's made up. It's not in the dictionary <laughs> of <laughs> words. Oh, well, maybe someday it will be there. Mm. But yeah, we lost some function because of this brain injury and um, it can depend from which part uh, a brain injury uh, takes from you, basically. It can be emotional, it can be physical, it can be cognitive. Um, I think for myself, it's luckily, you know, not, not so much physical, but for mm. you it is because uh, mm. you have the, the 
the eye side problem. Yeah. Uh, I have headaches, but yeah, that's also not visible, so I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's it's important to also just explain that part, so right? Usually, it's not the entire brain that gets oxygen deprived. It's a part mm. thereof, right? Yeah. And because true. our exactly. brains are so beautifully designed, where each part of the brain handles a different function in the body, and it, it does get a little bit complex because... Um, it's not necessarily very straightforward, like um, cell number one, two, and three handles, you know, your two legs <laughs> and, you know, the, the, or two sets of arms, or one set of arms and one set of legs. Mm. It's, it's a little bit more complex, but whichever part was oxygen, oxygen deprived, that is the part that you might end up with struggling because mm, your yeah. your brain cells can't basically program the functions that it usually received in the normal way so you can't move your body or your eyes can't see the things it saw before or you know you have extremely bad headaches or you can't really um hear or what is the correct word of saying this um the, the way you hear things might sound different in, inside of your ears, right? Nothing's wrong mm-hmm, with your mm-hmm. ears. It's your brain. Yeah, Is there something wrong exactly. with your brain? Right, okay. For me, it's, it's been like, uh, this is my second life, like a version 2.0 of mm-hmm. myself. Not, not, not necessarily 2.0 as in uh, upgraded. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> or not, you know. You, you, you always expect... make me laugh. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> but it's like another version and uh, sometimes it really feels like uh, I'm learning to live in the like the mind and the body that belongs to a stranger isn't that uh, the most perfect way of saying it right that is exactly how I feel and I think through the explanations that I've planned out on telling everyone it's like you can really separate I feel like in my head I can separate myself and the way I think about who is Beata versus what is this body that I'm now in? And it's mm-hmm. completely two separate yeah. things because my body is like a new vehicle that is operating completely differently to what it did before, right? That is exactly very, that is such a good way of putting it. Yeah, anyway, I feel, I yeah. feel that, and and I I know our listeners probably a lot of them feel that too, and uh, mm. I think the outside world hard can understand it because you know at least for those who don't have like a very visible physical disability you know people see you the same way uh you maybe you know look almost the same even having my brain surgery i've had so many people ask me oh but you had the brain surgery where's your scar as if you know i would go on the street showing my scar like i I was trying always to Mm -hmm. hit it a lot but Mm -hmm. it's not like you know i would go just showing it's it. Strange, right? It's strange. It's, it's almost like they see you and they look at you and you are just this beautiful, like strong woman who seems capable and well-spoken and like th- that can do like anything. And they almost, like, I think sometimes in disbelief that, you know, something happened to you, they almost like look for the scar because they think mm-hmm. like how is it Where even is, possible yeah. right yeah which is also. it's human nature i guess though yes and i think it's it's difficult being the injured one because you feel so hurt foreign and hurt 
that someone almost thinks that you, not, I want to say, not use the word lying, but that you're exaggerating. Um, and they almost just can't believe what you are telling them, right? It's, yeah. it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a two very strange worlds to, I don't know, blend together. True. Oh, well, we had now uh, some explanations about uh, the theory, basically, mm-hmm. of a stroke and uh, brain injury. And I want to ask uh, if you have some uh, examples from your own experience, mm-hmm. like practical ones that you want to share with our listeners about this yes. invisible disability. <laughs> yes. So I, I made quite a bit of notes now, and it might seem like a lot, but as mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I really feel like we need to define what this is. So interrupt me at any point, Alexandra. And if you have any examples of your own to add on to these ones, please do so. Subsections that I made are ears, speech, memory, movement and strength together. Um, the fifth one is then vision. And the sixth one is energy. So I'm going to start with ears and explain that while I was in the hospital, yes, the hospital is very noisy and and busy. It's actually sad that it's so noisy and busy and people actually just need to rest and sleep properly. And I went home, I was lucky enough to go home after a week in hospital and when we were home, we didn't go live in our house because our house had stairs and I couldn't walk even properly at that point never mind climbing stairs so we went to go live with my mother-in-law because she's also a doctor and you know she also I almost want to say um helped me get out of hospital quicker and say and said she will take care of or help take care Mm. of me um back home so I was in a very quiet calm you know environment being back home because everyone was so accommodating which is great But then my dear husband and family and friends, as soon as they knew I was out of hospital, people are obviously keen to check in with you. And they even want to make, a lot of people wanted to make me feel normal in a very abnormal and, you know, strange world that I found myself in. And I think like a lot of people didn't even know why or really what happened to me, but they, they were thinking, okay, let's make her feel not like a patient and let's take her out for coffee. You know, let's, Mm. let's take her to a restaurant or let's, um, you know, have a small get together. And And at that point you probably didn't know what it means to go to a coffee. (laughs) So now I'm struggling. I've just started walking. So I have a lot of things, um, in my physical realm that is still keeping my mind very much occupied. And I'm in this new space being a restaurant and it is overwhelming, but I couldn't really put my finger on why am I feeling so weird? My heart is beating like a crazy person's. Um, I almost feel like I can't hear what people are saying. Um, like something's wrong, but you don't know there what. Is, yes, and mm. you can't put your finger on it, right? Um, and yeah. this happened a few times. And luckily, I mean, my husband being the sweet man that he is, when I told him, like, listen, I prefer just like seeing people at home, like very close friends. Like we didn't see a lot of people in the beginning. Um, 
I tried to, you know, invite them over to our house where it was still like a calm environment. But still, I couldn't name it noise sensitivity. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with that term, right? Mm. So I was, I was working with a, a neuro-ophthalmologist. It was about three, four months after the injury. And I told her about an incident because she was a wonderful woman who helped me so much physically as well as emotionally. And I told her about this experience of where Michal and I, um, we were in the car, he was driving me around and he was kind of trying to, I think it was a Saturday morning, trying to make it like an upbeat morning because we were going through a lot of heavy stuff. So he's trying to like be kind and put the music on and we're like on our way somewhere, maybe to go visit my mom or my sister or something. And I'm in the car and it's almost as if something else took over my body and I completely bursted and I slapped the music system off. And I was like, you know, pulling or, or, or grabbing my hands to my ears. And I was just saying, like, it's, it's just too much. Like, I yeah. can't, it's just too much. And even then, I couldn't name it noise sensitivity. But luckily, I spoke to this woman and she told me, oh, Beata, a lot of stroke patients, a lot of brain injured individuals have noise sensitivity. And I was like, ding. Yeah, like, it, it all like clicked. Made sense. And I was like, noise sensitivity. Like, never thought about that. Even oh, yeah, oh, I also. okay. Like that makes sense. That's why I can't sit in a restaurant with the grinding of a coffee machine, people chatting, music in the background. It's just the we have no filter anymore. Yes. Because when I had it also, I was starting looking into it. What is it? What is it? And then it came yes. on, on a, a you know, site or whatever. Mm. That it's just no more filter. Because usually the brain yes. has a filter that, you know, can filter out uh, noise, basically can filter out whatever yes. people are discussing at another table. And now that filter is kind of gone. So you are like yes. overwhelmed. Yes. It's almost so. like, imagine, I know, it's trying to explain to you like a normal individual now, like imagine you're watching TV and you are like date focused on the TV and your wife or your husband can be talking next to you. You almost don't hear them. A dog can be barking in the distance, an ambulance going by. You don't hear anything because you are focused on your show, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen to me anymore. Like I hear everything. And yes, yeah, I feel same. like my brain is a bit better than in the beginning, but mm -hmm. I am still very much noise sensitive. Um, yeah. and, I, and I will tie this probably to the end, to the energy part, but I, before I go over to the next one, which is speech, I quickly want to say a lot of people might think like, oh, Beata, but then how do you go to restaurants? I saw you at a restaurant last weekend. Or how do you travel in an airport? Or how do you do things? And that is the challenge. That is the challenge of living with brain injury because I am still a human being. I still yes. have, I still want to go Meet to and restaurants. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I still want to see my friends. I still want to go out and party. I still want to mm -hmm. do certain things. Um, but I now have to completely prioritize time to be in a noisy environment and then release myself from it afterwards. And to find so, compensation compensation strategy. 
Yes. Like, uh, exactly. uh, maybe I can go to the restaurant when it opens up before people show up. What's yes. the first reservation I can make? What's the first time? Or uh, yes. maybe I can meet this friend now and the other one in three days or whatever. Like, you have mm. to think it through. Like, I thought, because in the, you know, in the society here, everyone plans things in the mm. Netherlands. And I thought I was planning things before, but no way. Mm. Now it's like a different, completely different level of needing to plan to do something. Yes. So even like this weekend, we were trying to be impulsive. It was Saturday and we were thinking maybe we should just go walk down because we live in an area where we're very close to restaurants and we can just walk to a restaurant. We were thinking, let's go for lunch on Saturday. It wasn't possible. We arrived there, Alexandra. I didn't even tell you this. Now you're hearing it for the first time. <laughs> we arrived at the restaurant, that beautiful, new, healthy eatery, the plant-based eatery down the street from our house. Mm-hmm. Arrived there. It was an extremely busy afternoon, actually too busy, you know, taking into consideration that it's COVID practices and all of that, but (laughs) never mind. Let's keep that to the side. We sat down at the quietest table we could find, like taking into consideration that it was jam-packed. It was still Mm. very, very busy. And we sat down and I told Michal, I am so extremely very sorry. I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. We went you reminded home. me of myself on another yes, on another day this. at the sushi. <laughs> yes, same. Right? And we had to we, leave. We, we we came back home and we had had avo toast later on mm. in the afternoon by four thirty. So in between lunch and dinner time, we went down again and we had a coffee. It was still difficult. I was having a bad day on Saturday. My energy was not good and. I was still struggling at the coffee to really listen to him and concentrate and be normal. <laughs> but I also wanted to go down and just have a coffee over yes. the weekend, right? That, that's exactly how, you know, you have to, uh, and I, I hate that. It's almost like you have to make a choice between mm. your own health and doing something you want. And sometimes yes. I'm like, why do I have to be the one that doesn't get to enjoy the thing I want to do? Like everyone else you see around is doing what yes. they want. And I have to go to the restaurant, see that it's too busy and just leave. It's so mm. sad. Mm. I find it very um, Okay, so let's go <sighs> over to the next one, which is speech. So in the beginning, if, if I say in the beginning, I mean hospital, waking up in the hospital, right? I was very slow at speaking. I couldn't speak English at all, which is so freaking weird. Um. It was just that part of the brain, luckily, where language sits that was still swollen. So I very quickly picked up on my English again, mm. although I don't feel like I, I was ever like extremely strong in languages. But um, my speech was definitely not affected in the fact that I slurred because I know a lot of stroke victims or brain injured individuals um, struggle with swallowing, struggle with basic um, sounds they slur um, or they could slur and luckily I did not have that but I was still it took so much energy to speak it was hard Mm -hmm. to almost gather like um, strength to really respond and stay almost awake I want to say within a conversation like on top of it 
You bring、um, so many memories. Like on the hospital bed, I was my mom was visiting, and、yeah. uh, I had to speak to her in Romanian and to Nick in English. And after the surgery, I was like,、oh, I、yes. could not find my words in Romanian, which is like my mother language.、Mm. So, so I was speaking to her in English, and she doesn't speak English. So she was looking at me and and saying to me in Romanian, like speaking Romanian, and yeah, because she can't understand you, yeah, yeah. And I was understanding her, but my words would not come. They were just coming in English. So it was such a blurry thing, yeah. Yes, in the beginning, my speech was not affected as heavily as it probably could have been, and I still struggle today. And it might seem strange to have a podcast, which is a lot of talking, but that's not what I mean to say. What I mean is, I feel a lot of people can have an eight-hour, ten-hour workday where it's so many meetings, like meeting after one meeting after another, where there's loss of. Talking and speaking involved, I can't do that anymore. Can't do it. Like I, there is a point that I reach, and I feel like I can't talk anymore. Like I, like I, I am so tired. I can't talk anymore. Like even after this episode that we're now busy recording, I'm gonna take a talking break if you want to call it that. Yeah. Like、exactly. I will not be able to go out and have a coffee like right after this. Like. Tonight, when Michal arrives home, sure, I'll be able to talk, but now I am—I'm probably going to use a lot of energy explaining all of these things. And if you now think of a, a meeting, especially for myself, a meeting takes so many things. Like, first of all, it's usually with stakeholders from, you know, another company or with colleagues that like from a different team. So. First of all, it's probably strangers. So, I mean, not that I'm—I would say I'm a very nervous person, but there's a sense of you want to speak well and you want to present, you know, your content in the most positive way as possible. So there's already like a little bit of say underlying、yeah. stress, right? Exactly. Com- combined with a lot of people perhaps talking. Over one another, and we've already spoken about that in the、mm-hmm. ear section. Bad, very bad, very confusing. Can't I can only listen to one person at a time. I can't、yeah. listen to two people. <laughs> and now I am functioning in my second language, as well as I am getting tired from just speaking. <laughs> so it's so it many is, things wrapped up into a, yes, into、yeah. like one little packet.、Mm-hmm. Um. So I just I wanted to mention speech because it's probably not the the thing that stands out the most for myself, but I do feel it making me so tired. And I really in the beginning did not again understand what's happening to my body. Why am I exhausted after、um, engagements with friends and family and even work? Right? I I love chatting to people at work. I used to love that. And I'm an extrovert. I love chatting to people. Like I, I don't like being by myself. And why am I now feeling so different after a social engagement than before?、Yeah. And it, it, that again is the struggle of my body almost forcing me to do something else. But the Beata that I knew is an extrovert, and I still am in my heart. I still see myself as an extrovert, but I now constantly have to manage. My engagements with、mm. other individuals. 
Oh, God. You talk about so many things that I uh, also feel it's like painful. (laughs) Memory. Oh, Alexandra, I know Mm. you can also chip in. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately. I never (laughs) expected this at this age. Yes, right. Memory. And in about, I don't know, at the end of the first month, I was feeling confident enough to here and there walk to say the grocery store because I was not able to drive at all at that point so you know you would drive or walk to the grocery store or you will arrive at work thinking you know in the car ride which someone has to drive you or the train ride where you think like oh I should remember to tell my colleague about X. And I'll arrive at work. It's as if it never happened. Mm-hmm. I arrive at the grocery <laughs> store. And like I am usually a very organized and prepared person. And we even spoke about that in the first episode with all our planners and everything. Yeah. But yeah. sometimes you will go to the grocery store knowing the only thing you need is an orange. You know that you need an orange, right? That's the only thing you need. I will walk into the grocery store. Alexandra, I will not know that I need an orange. I do not know what I need, right? I, I'm all of a sudden, I'm in this space and I'm looking around and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm here to But buy. this is so uh, important also <laughs> to mention that a lot of people here who don't have a brain injury think, oh, but I also have problems with... Uh, I know, with... and I'm so happy you're bringing this up. Please continue. <laughs> Please continue. I just wanted to say that that's so different because, uh, you know, we, we luckily we... In a way, I guess, luckily, we had these uh, brain injuries when we were 25, 26. So we had like mm. plenty of years when we didn't have it. So we know how that feels too to basically forget something. Uh, yes, we know, you know what a normal and, for- yes. Yeah, forgetting <laughs> is. So in, in that, like how I would uh, te- uh, tell them apart is before... I kind of had it in the back of my head, like, and I knew I'm forgetting something. It was there. And maybe in a minute or two, I was like, oh, it was this. And now it's in a scary way. Like, I don't remember it at all. Like, it never even crossed my mind. And mm. it's never been there. And it's just in a scary way. Like, I can give an example of when I was uh, also a few weeks afterwards, after the, the stroke happened, I went to take the metro to go somewhere. And I looked at the board, you know, which says which metro comes next. Yes. And I saw that my metro was the second one. So I, there was one mm. metro coming, it was not mine. And then after three minutes, there was the second one. So I thought, oh, all right, I still have three minutes to wait. And then, you know, the first metro came in and I just got in. I completely didn't even have in my mind that I was in a different metro. (laughs) Alexandra, and I need to stress again to the listeners, that is not Alexandra being absent-minded. Because I know, I know as a normal human being, you could say like, oh, she was just absent-minded. I was, you know, I didn't even uh, know what what is happening when I saw all these stops that were not my right stops. I thought, (laughs) what what is going on here? What did I do? Mm. It was just, and it happens, you know, all it gets it got better a bit now but it still happens like that and it's very scary mm, it is it is so yeah I, we can go through so many examples with that but let's leave it at that and i I'm, i wrote down here that the way i kind of combat this and the the reason why a lot of my the people functioning around me that know me today and that see me you know 
on a regular basis might think like, oh no, Beyonce never forgets. She's she's always so on top of it. Her husband is the one who always forgets to bring the salad. He's the one who's always late or whatever, right? <laughs> like I am the planner. Mm-hmm. I am the the one who is like, you know, got sticky notes everywhere. Um, so they might not think of her, of myself as the forgetful one. But I definitely um, have methods in place of how I kind of help myself with yeah. this. Because I was so on top of it, it very much annoyed me that I couldn't remember any of these things. So I think that is one of the first places where I really thought about like how am I going to like put things in place for myself not to forget things because it annoys the living hell out of me if other people do that or when mm-hmm. I do it. Yeah. Um, so I have lots of methods that we can probably go into like a like how-to type of podcast. Yeah. But I'm very much still a planner. Remember that planning takes a lot of energy. And again, I'll, I'll get to energy at some point, but it takes energy. It takes cognitive function, especially if it's complex planning of, say, you have to go somewhere, you have a meeting, you have to take certain materials or notes or whatever with you. After that, you are probably going to go and get on a metro or you're going to get back in your car and you have to have a different top with you because you're going for dinner. So there's lots of different like little intricacies. And I can do that quite well now, but it takes energy from me, which I hate, Mm -hmm. right? It takes more energy to be on top of it. Um, Exactly. I still lack in a lot of places, but luckily I do have systems in place today, now. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Otherwise we can't survive, basically. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to move over to the next one. Do you want to add on anything else at memory? Uh, well, you know, my memory issues are sometimes so scary, but... Um... I remember you had a point where I was telling you, Alexandra, like, get like a planner again and like write everything down. And you, yeah. then you tell me that you forget where or you forgot yeah. where you put your planner. Yeah. Or then you start <laughs> making notes in a different place because say you have a work calendar and you have your private calendar. So you have things in your work calendar and you can't find it. And I remember there was like a lot of things for yourself where you were also trying to figure out like how are you going to like make it mm-hmm. work, right? I wanted how to, do you, f- yeah. to find a compensation uh, strategy that works. And eventually I'm, I just ended up putting everything in my phone because the phone is basically the one thing that I almost maybe 99% of the mm-hmm. time have with me. Uh, mm. And I have there everything in my in the calendar that is also for work and private. And mm. unfortunately, whatever is not on the calendar doesn't happen because I just don't remember <laughs> it. So, so, you know, if it's not on the calendar, it almost doesn't exist. So I, I got to that point where I'm I'm almost living by that calendar. So yes. I, I hope nobody steals my phone because if they do, <laughs> they're kind hey, of stealing have- my life. Yes, but you have the cloud. You can buy a new, a new oh, iPhone yeah, yeah. and like just like, oops, everything is there again. <laughs> Luckily, we have technology. That is true. But I, yeah, just emphasizing on the thing that there's one mm. thing that really helps me now to, mm. um, well, not that's also one of the points that I want to say. It doesn't help mm. me remember things, but it does help me see that I have to do certain things. Like 
I might still forget that I, uh, whatever I put in the calendar that I had spoken to a person about having that meeting, but I know, oh, yes. you know, I truly uh, believe my calendar. So if my calendar says you have to do this, even though maybe I don't remember exactly how did I get to this, then I think uh, if it's in the calendar, it must be true. So I don't I have go... an example for the <laughs> listeners that you shared with me like many, many months ago. You, I think it was something like a nail appointment. And it was in the calendar that you had to do your nails at 2 p.m. on Friday. And you're like, I didn't speak to this person. No, this must be a mistake. <laughs> like, I did not speak to yeah. this person. I did not make this appointment. You completely almost um, thought, you know, That's someone a, else yeah. wrote it in your calendar. It could have been someone else. It was like, it's written here, but like, I have no, no recollection. recollection. <laughs> yes. And that yeah. is, a th- I think, and a that good still example. Happens. Okay. Yeah, Unfortunately, well, I mean, it's, you know, that. it's scary, but now I, I kind of, uh, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn to trust that that calendar is right. Mm. Mm. So now I think I'm at that point more where I'm like, if it's in calendar, it must be true. <laughs> I, I write my calendar and my notes in much fuller sentences now mm-hmm. because in the beginning I could make like small notes before the stroke. And I, one word will remind me of what I should do or whatever yes, the appointment exactly. is. And now if I don't write full sentences or like a proper explanation, I could also look at it and be like, nope. In the beginning, it Ugh. was very uh, scary. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's the word for it, probably. I'm going to go over to movement slash strength. Um. So just to give you an idea, it took nine months for myself to get my handwriting in order. Oh, wow. Nine wow. months, people. It, it's, I had no clue. It, it was so freaking extremely difficult to get my fine motor skills on my right-hand side to a place where I felt confident in my hand, if I can call it that. It, and it, I mean, I went to work after a month I know I know I couldn't type I did the same so you know I don't blame you (laughs) I typed with like you know my two little index fingers I still backspaced probably 60% of it I couldn't write I I was I mean we you know I we got married just before I Mm. really wanted to change my um maiden name to my married name and I mean I couldn't do uh, my hand signature and I was like I'm not gonna have like this weird scribbly thing as my hand signature so for me to go redo my passport and my ID and everything so you know they they will say things like oh wait are you now such a feminist that you're not gonna change your name like why why mm. haven't you changed your name because in South Africa it's very much um tradition to change your name yeah especially especially in like in my culture and And although it was not meant to be hurtful and although I am a feminist and um, (laughs) I am thinking it's very much your choice whether you want to change your surname or not, Mm -hmm. um, it should definitely not be something forced on you. It was very much my personal intention to change my name and people will make fun and say like, oh, you know, you haven't changed your name. And meanwhile, I just don't want to tell them like, oh, it's because I can't write, you know, it, mm. that's going to be such yeah. A, yeah. a hurtful comment back. But 
that was so very much my reality. I mean, anyway. I'm sure that the people would, would have no clue that that was the reason. No. But it's just yeah. to you knowing, you're like, oh, what if I tell them now that, you know, I can't yes. write? But <laughs> Alexandra, this is people who knew I had a stroke even. Mm. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about them. I'm just talking about the fact that I know we look normal. And that's why we're doing this episode. It's because we need an example of why we're saying we can't do certain things, right? This is why we're yeah. doing this example, or the, these examples. Okay, so the handwriting took nine months for me to feel comfortable um, in my own handwriting again. And it's actually quite, quite cool to go and look back into my calendars and things to see how my handwriting kind of was completely warped in the beginning and how it kind of made its way back to my original you know, style of writing, which is quite funny that there's still some muscle memory that my handwriting yeah. didn't change completely. But I was going to ask that, but it's mm. good that you mention it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I could walk after a week. It was still very much conscious walking, um, thinking about lift your foot, drag across, like well, not drag, like lift and placement of foot foot down okay and foot up and it's it's so strange of thinking about that and being a very much a glamour fashion girl I was very bummed that I couldn't wear my high heels so I think it was gosh I'm trying to think now it was for Michal's birthday so it must have been less than a month after the injury like two weeks three weeks after the injury I was adamant I'm going to put on high heels like Ooh. I will not you know like I'm not going to look like high a achiever <laughs> yes but I was Alexandra I was craving to have myself back yeah I was still in this alien mm -hmm. body and I was thinking how am I going to make myself feel the same like me right mm -hmm. like and although it was probably a stupid idea I luckily didn't fall or anything but I think it's yeah, I, it's a shame. It's actually a sweet, sad, sadish story. But anyway, so I could walk after a week. It was very much a conscious walk. About four months after my injury, um, Michal forgot something at home and I went quickly like running across the pavement or I was intending to run across the pavement and go give him, I think it was a book or a lunchbox or I don't know what. And in my head, like at that point I could walk more comfortably because it's mm -hmm. four months in. Right. So I, I wasn't thinking about lifting foot placement yeah. of foot, lifting foot placement of foot. And in my head, I was planning on giving like a slight jog type of thing. Um, and I smacked down on the pavement oh, so shame. hard and thank you. But the point is, you think in the beginning, especially I think after a, um, a brain injury that affects you physically in your body, that movement is, you don't think about movement. You don't think about how to pick up your fork and knife, right? You mm. don't think about like lifting the spoon and aiming for your mouth to get yeah. the soup in your mouth. But all of those functions take a lot of time and practice to get faster as well so I definitely I want to say improved in terms of how fast I can do things um and I am able to jog now I was never a big jogger um and I will never be and 
don't feel ashamed for saying that. Um, I, I kind of fell in love with exercising, luckily, a year before my injury. And I feel very grateful that it happened because I think it forced my body to become quite strong before mm. the injury. But I don't see myself as an extremely sporty person and I probably will never be. But I'm still very annoyed that I can't lift as heavy weights on my right as on my left. And usually my, my right side was stronger than my left just because of like, you know, that yeah. dominance yeah, thing yeah. on the side of your body. So um, I still have also like a little bit less feeling in my arms and like hands. Like even if you were to, or Michal were to touch my hand or like hold my hand, I definitely have slightly less feeling on the right side of my body. Um, just less sensitive, I suppose. Um, and yeah, that is, so that is probably like a quick explanation of what it was like and what it is now. And one thing I kind of did notice is after the stroke, like I went through a lot of physical rehabilitation and even after the smackdown with like me trying to jog after Michal to give him his lunchbox, um, my, I went back to my physical therapist and I told him like what happened. And he was like, okay, don't worry. We're going to get you back jogging. We're going to get those, you know, faster leg movements mm -hmm. and arm movements. We'll get, you know, we'll get you up and running again. And, um, he definitely did. And after that, I went back to the gym and I was quite, I want to say, in a, in a good routine of exercising. But now during lockdown with all of the closed gyms, I definitely yes. don't exercise or move my body as much as I used to. And Alexandra, if I go for a long walk now, I literally feel almost as though I'm back at, you know, month four and five where I have to drag my leg after a few kilometers of walking like not in the beginning like I can comfortably walk around the house but if I have to go now and go on an extremely long hike that I've been in a couple of weeks like friends invited us and it was lovely to get some fresh air but towards the end of the walk like I have to think of like move your leg yeah, move yeah. your leg yeah. move, you know <laughs> and it's so strange because no one will know and I'm luckily good enough and I'm strong enough to do it in a way that people won't notice but it's still there and this is the episode where we're exposing all of the invisible, invisible things, things right yes mm. so my yeah. goodness oh. okay peeps Hang on. Two more things on my side. <laughs> vision, 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 vision. That is like one of my huge things. Um, probably one of the biggest things in my injury. So the part of my brain that died um, is also the part that interprets what my eyes see on the right hand side. Let me explain it in one more sentence. There's nothing wrong with my eyeballs. The organs, my eyes as an organ, they're perfectly fine. And if, God forbid, I were to be in an accident and I'm an organ donor, which I am, sign up to be organ donors, um, <laughs> my eyes will work perfectly fine in someone else's body. 
But yeah, because it comes from the brain, basically, right? It's the brain, mm. right? The brain can't interpret what my eyes are seeing on the right hand side. So it, I'm affected. Not it's not that I'm blind completely in my full right eye. I'm blind in both eyes on the right hand side. And to try and explain um, what, what the vision or what it looks like. So think about a clock. If you look at a clock and you think of your nose being the point where the two, um, what is the tick, 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 tick? What are these things called? These um, uh, the little legs, the arms. Yeah, the yeah, arms, arms of the clock, yeah. right? Yeah. Where they are linked together. Yeah. You're intercepting um, in like straight in the middle. That's where your nose is. My vision, now imagine going up, right, up to 12 and then not completely to six, but more like to five. All the way from 12 to 5 is gone. Nothing. There's nothing there. Which means if someone, um, a normal sighted person, were to put their hand over their right eye, they still have full peripheral vision mm -hmm. in their left eye on both sides. If you were to put your um, hand over your left eye, you still have full peripheral vision in your right eye on both sides. Yeah. But I lost complete vision on the right hand side, which means, you know, on, on, on top, like where almost my nose is, it's 90 degrees of vision. And then because of this, luckily, like, you know, not completely six, but more five, mm -hmm. I have a little bit more degrees here at the bottom. Oh. So if I look down, um, I can luckily chop vegetables, you know, and see a little bit more at the bottom than what I see on top. But if I look at a computer screen, I look at someone's face. If mm. I look at a TV, if I look at a anything, a book, mm. I can't see half of it. So, for example, to give you an idea of what it looks like, I might make a video about this sometime. I don't know. But if I were to look at a word, my name's Beata. It's spelled B-E-A-T-E. -E. If I look at my B, right, on the beginning of my name, I can see the B-E-A. I can see three letters at a time. And we obviously read from left to right. Yeah. So if you are dragging your eyes across a sentence from left to right, you are able, a normal vision person, to see the word you're looking at as well as what? Probably three words, maybe four mm. words even extra, like in your peripheral vision, even yeah. the entire page. So it's easy to almost see the line forming with the words, which makes it easier to skip lines again or to, you know, at the end, end of a page to go back again to the, the the following line but for me that is now I want to say impossible and I had a lot of rehabilitation with regards to vision and the lady the neuro-ophthalmologist that I spoke about earlier she helped me so much in terms of I want to say the placement of my body within a space. Because if you come, if you all of a sudden blind, it's as though a part of your world is missing and you almost 
you you almost don't know what you're not seeing, right? Yeah. It's almost like something happening behind your head. You just don't know what is happening there. if you don't see it. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So she helped me a lot. And I am now able to, for example, cook um, and work with sharp objects such as knives. Um, dining, if I sit at a table, I won't ever put my wine glass or my teacup or anything mm-hmm. completely like on the on the right, right side, side of my hand because look at me I'm always talking with my hands and explaining I will just knock things over all the time so um yes I don't have anything on my right hand side and if someone were to put anything there I'm just gonna break it um let me think, oh, unfamiliar spaces. That is a very good explanation as well. So whenever I go into, or any person probably goes into a new space, a new restaurant, a new house, a new office area, whatever, you take in the surroundings Mm. with the full attention of your eyes. So yes, you can look at the computer, say in front of you, but you can still see the kitchen maybe in the far left and you can see more desks in the far right, which helps you place your body within a space. It might sound like a very foreign like concept. Does it make sense what I'm trying to say, right? You, you you see everything around you, like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, so you kind of you know what's happening around you, even if people move around you. You can still, even though you don't look at them, you can still see their body somewhere. Like, play, you can you can probably guess like, oh, that person is probably like two meters away on my left hand side, or that person is like way down the cor- corridor on my right hand side. But I'm completely unable to do that, and. The, the, the fact of the matter is in the beginning it was just so confusing I almost felt drunk I felt drunk I felt like I had loads of alcohol or something I don't know where you completely feel like your world is spinning around you and I remember like I, I used to like almost move my head extremely quickly in all directions trying to figure out like what hell is going on around me but this lady helped me a lot this doctor to really um, practice methods in ways I can try and feel comfortable in a new space which Mm. is never going to be the same but it is much 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 better Um, so let me yeah so because obviously your peripheral vision helps you place yourself within a space um Social aspects with regards to vision, right? People are not ornaments. They move around. They Mm. move their arms. They walk around. They do things. In the beginning, Alexandra, so many times it's happened where someone will enter a conversation, people standing like almost in a semicircle type thing. Someone enters the conversation. They stand on my right-hand side. I don't even know they're there, all right? Because it's like there's enough of a buzz in the room, so I don't hear them approaching. And all of a sudden, they speak up. Oh, I would get so a scared. heart attack. Like, oh. it was so scary. And I, so many times, like, I jumped away from people or things on my right-hand side. You know, bicycles, cars, waiters, whatever it is, right? Um, luckily now, I think my body also 
my body is together with rehab also adjusted and I mm. doesn't happen that often anymore but a lot of the times waiters will stand next to me especially in a noisy area where you can't hear them <laughs> and Michael will be always like Beata. I'm like oh okay hello yeah yeah mm-hmm. things like sparkling water you know whatever <laughs> or we have coping mechanisms as well, Michal, well, Michal and myself, where he always sits on my right-hand side in a strange setting. Oh, yeah. So that he's helps. almost like got my back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that someone usually who's sitting on my right-hand side, they will not know how to help me, if I can call it that. But when he's on my right and I know he's got my blind spots, I trust him fully and mm-hmm. he helps me. Anyway, mm, and then the last sweet. thing, this is going to be a longer episode, but driving. Oh, yeah. So luckily, together with this neuro-ophthalmologist, I met the minimum requirements, Alexandra, exactly like on the dot. I can't oh, remember wow. exactly what it is. I think in South Africa, you have to have 118 degrees of vision, like... Um, um, unbroken, unbroken mm-hmm, vision mm-hmm. for 118 degrees. So say you're yeah, blind yeah. a little bit on the left and a little bit on the right. It should be 118 de- uh, degrees of vision, like fully. I think it's 118. Um, don't quote me on that. And because of this, luckily this five o'clock mm-hmm. and not six o'clock, I have exactly that amount. So I could go to disability driving school after seven months after the stroke First had to go through a cognitive um, ability test, basically, which mm-hmm. made me feel extremely dumb, extremely, oh, I can, um, it made me feel horrible. It just showed so many of my flaws still of all of my things that I can't remember. My memory is bad and my language mm-hmm. was bad and my, this was bad. But luckily I met the minimum requirements and I had to go through disability driving school um, because I don't even want to say this out loud, but because I seemed so normal, a lot of people say, no, but you have a license, just drive. Yeah, yeah. Just drive. And I'm like, I it's not safe. see on the right-hand side. Like, I do not feel safe. And mm. how freaking unresponsible would it be of me to jump in a car, drive with all of the other human beings around me? Like, yeah. How can you say, like, do that? But in any case, so I insisted that I, I need to have, you know, some kind of a course again. But even the disability driving school individuals were like, because I didn't look like their normal patient, yes, right? Because they, that's the thing. They, they need to see yes. something. <laughs> and in South Africa, I feel the medical <sighs> system sometimes fails us because they kind of just want to get you to a point where you're alive and where you can eat, maybe feed yourself and take yourself to the bathroom. And then there's so much need and there's so many unwell and sick people hmm. that they kind of like, okay, we've done our job. Yeah. Bye. And even with private medical healthcare, I found that to be the case in so many places where it's almost like you that extremely fine motor skills that you need, that extremely fine attention on getting your life quality back was just lacking in the system so badly. But in mm. any case, so I, yes. I insisted to go through disability driving school and I luckily got my license again. 
in the December of that year. So stroke was 20 May 2018. Got my license in December. Then we went on our long summer break in December. So I didn't drive at all during December because we were on holiday mm. and we were in a location where I didn't, you know, need to drive. Yeah. Alexandra, I was back at work in January and I thought like, okay, Beata, now you've got it. Like, you know, nothing's going to stop you now because you've got your license back. So you've got your freedom. Mm. So you go girl, like stroke <laughs> is past. It's back in 2018, like new year, new me. Here we go, 2019. And, oh, it was so overwhelming in the car. It was horrible. And so many of the things that I spoke about now about the noise sensitivity and speech and memory and movements and your strength of your body in combination with lots of moving parts, which is the vehicles around me. And traffic and stress of work and all of these things just went like bloop, like on top of me yeah. and I thought coming back from holiday like this is going to be the yeah. year where I'm going to make a comeback and I felt defeated I felt <sighs> defeated like I felt so I need to gather myself real quick <clears throat> I understand exactly and I think you probably also thought like so much time had passed mm. and it's about time yes I felt that too and everybody well a lot of people for me at least were telling around me when are you going to be 100 percent again and that yes. was like i'm going to be 100 percent soon and then yeah. when you have this realization like you had you know with mm. driving that it's still difficult it's still um yeah anyway i it was the i think it was the thursday yeah it was a thursday or the friday of that very first week back at work and i was in an not really an intersection more um on the shoulder of a highway and I needed to find a gap on the right side to go into the flow of cars. So I was checking, you know, turning my head way, way, way to the right, like checking my blind spot properly before I took a gap and like put my you know, foot down on the field. And a guy from behind bumped into my car he thought, mm. he probably looked at me and thought like, oh, surely this person in front of me um, would have taken a certain gap that he saw. And I was too paranoid to take a small gap because I'm looking for a big gap, like uh -huh, a very uh -huh. safe gap, right? Yes. So a lot of people make this mistake when driving. They also check the traffic and they don't check the car like right in front of them, like assuming that the car in front of them is not there anymore. They already took a gap, right? Mm. Put his foot down on the petrol, boom, slammed oh. into my car. And luckily, I mean, no one I died. Didn't know that. No one. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. No, I don't I think. Well, either you told me and I forgot it, but I don't okay. remember. Don't worry about it. But anyway, um, not like the biggest thing. The car was insured, they fixed the car. But Alexandra, the break in the confidence after yeah. that was just so bad. Um, oh I mean, I kept on driving to work. Um, I didn't, um, you know, stop driving. But it's just, there's so many challenges with an invisible disability. And people think, and they look at the car, 
friends and family and they're like, oh, no, man, the guy was just stupid. It's not your mistake. Don't worry about it. You're all good. Don't worry. You know, oh, no, it's going to be quick, quick, and your car's going to be fine. Mm. And they think about, I'm worried about the car, which I was because, I mean, like anyone in a car accident worries about the physical aspect of it all as well. But like, I was afraid, like, to the the core of myself. And it was just so much more than a bumper bash. Yes. And I remember like one of the managers also, because I obviously let the people know um, a part of my team. And Mm. I remember the next day I walked into the office thinking everyone's going to be like, are you okay? Okay. Whatever. Everyone was like quiet. And someone noticed that I was, you know, less chatty than normal. And, you know, asked me like, what's up? And one, I, and I, I said something like, Oh, like, don't you guys know? Like yesterday I was in a car accident and someone was like, Oh no, man, you're just trying to make it sound like such a big deal. It was nothing. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, it was so not nothing. It was like, gosh, like, can you imagine? I haven't been driving for nine months almost. I went through disability driving school. It's the first week back on the road. Yes, it's not my mistake. It's someone else's mistake. But this is not nothing. It it was very hurtful. But in any case, if I ever decide to make a video on my personal, um, on my YouTube channel that I have ever about, you know, um, my vision, I will update the show notes of this and I'll include the link because Mm. I was actually thinking of like trying to make a video kind of simulating the the idea of the blindness so yeah just so everybody knows and then okay the last thing I feel like I've been chatting so long now last thing is just energy right um and I I feel like this um really takes all of these things that I now mentioned and takes it into one because it would be probably be fine if it's just a memory issue and if it's just a noise sensitivity and if it's just the fact that you can't see as well, right? Lots of people lose an eye. Um, and they have one know, problem, yeah. But in, in all of this, it's combined. Yes. And it steals so much of my, just your life. I know, your energy, right? It's... It, it's it's extremely consuming. And depending on what day you are having, how full and busy your day is, what you're going to spend your time doing, different aspects will carry more weight in that day, right? Um, so you wake up with a certain amount of energy and now, and before, we could just do whatever we wanted to almost, right? Just get the things done on the checklist. But now mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like I have to manage all of these different senses. I have to manage all of the things that I need to do. I, you know, before I have to sleep again and start over, you know, do all of these things and sleep again, sleep like properly, again. Yeah. which is usually for myself nine hours a night now, which is more than what people you know, think one could sleep, but at least a minimum of nine hours of sleep. That's what I need. Um, and I need I afternoon to... naps now, like kids. So is it? <laughs> yeah. No, I try. I, I don't know. I've I've never been a big nap person, and I'm not one now. But anyhow, I have to consciously think about what I'm going to do and how I'm going to spend my time that I'm awake, 
during the day, right? What activities is going to cost me how much energy? Is it going to be a busy mall? Is it going to be a, an intellectual challenge of learning something new? Is it going to be a long time in the car with driving and visual stimulation? And, you know, obviously driving is, care, is, is dangerous. You know, you should be careful. Or is mm. it going to be... Is it going to be a social setting? Is it going to be a chilled social setting where it's just going to be myself and Michal at a restaurant and, you know, I can voice my uncomfortableness to him and, you know, he, he's going to be very accommodating or is it going to be, am I going to be extremely nervous and it's going to be with a new set of people? Is it going to be a stressful meeting? And so on and so on and so on. I can just carry on. So I really have to manage my energy and the way I maximize my productivity and my productive hours I have every day is, first of all, I need to have enough sleep. If there's a really good book that you guys want to read about sleeping, um, it is called um, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. He is an amazing author and a sleep scientist, extremely well-researched book. I really encourage normal and broken individuals to read the book it is i still have to to read it i bought it i bought it but i didn't yeah you have to Mm -hmm. it's great i've read it twice so it's really good um eating healthy so really fueling my body with the right um food something that's not going to make me feel drained that my body needs to work too hard at you know digesting and i need to still move my body because if I don't move my body, it's almost as though my limbs get lazy again, right? So that is the most important things I can do for myself every day to try and, you know, help my body function as best it can. Still not being perfect, um, will never be, um, but that is the end of my very long spiel. (laughs) (laughs) It's very important to have talked uh, it through, right? So that um, Mm. the invisible becomes visible, which is our topic today. Right. right? Yeah. But I don't know if you want to add anything else to, you know, this invisible disability. Uh, Well, you know, I think some of the things you're going through, I'm going through as well. And that's mostly, you know, on the cognitive ability side, um, like with the memory, especially with like uh, dividing attention, um, things like that are really present in my life. Energy levels for sure. Um, I had also the problem with uh, the first month after the stroke. I could walk, but I could not walk unassisted. It was like, I, I could see the street and everything, but it was I didn't almost, know that. yeah, it's just such a bad memory. I, I uh, don't think I told many people about it, but I was, I always had to hold on to Nick when we were walking on the street and I could never go on my own. I tried a few times, but it was almost like the, um, the ground is not, it's like moving. You look at it and it's mm. almost uh, going to the left and to the right. And that was not mm. true, but that's actually what I what I saw in that time. What you experienced. Yeah, yeah, what I experienced. So I always had to have someone with me. After that, that became better. So that's not a problem anymore. And I think I'm left with, you know, a lot of cognitive things that uh, there are struggles on my day-to-day basis, especially at work when I have to really try to concentrate. I have to really try to pay attention to what I'm doing. Because of my bad memory, I keep forgetting what I've been doing. So a lot of times I repeat things 
five times. I do the same work over and over again because I just don't remember that I did it. And it can be frustrating, but it is what it is. Um, and then, yes, I have some, uh, well, I had some PTSD uh, in the beginning, oh, yes. uh, which they treated with a very good um, special PTSD therapy, uh, which really helped. Um, but as so that luckily that's gone. And, uh, after that, was it sessions know. where you spoke to someone? Yeah, like, it was okay. called, it's called exposure. So that you were exposure mm. therapy. You actually had to relive the things that, uh, were giving you the PTSD and wow. yeah, it was really harsh. You had to record yourself while you were uh, speaking to the therapist. And basically when you got home, you had, uh, in the week to listen to it five times like to the trauma that causes you the PTSD until it gets so familiar to you that it doesn't affect you anymore. It actually works, you know, uh, it did work for me at least. And I hear others are also held by this. So I, I think it's a great way to solve, solve PTSD, but uh, it was not a fun time for sure. Not. Um, yeah. And then now, you know that's gone and and i and after that i went through a depression but uh and that took a long time mm. and i i just went through a lot of um questioning myself why am i alive a lot of people were telling me you're a miracle all this mm. happened and you're still here and that was hard to hear because in my head i thought i'm not a miracle i can't do a lot of things mm. uh, uh i'm still alive yeah i'm still breathing but that for me doesn't mean that i'm living so yes it was yeah, hard to even hear saying, others, yeah. you know, saying that kind of thing. And also... Because you felt like you are so not a miracle. You felt like you were only barely mm. hanging on. Yeah. And in other people's eyes, they kind of uplifted you to an ideal that you were not feeling yourself. Is that exactly. right? I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, from the outside world i i guess it makes sense to think wow this person went through a stroke this person went to a brain surgery of like nine hours they are like a living walking miracle but um yeah surviving on your like just bodily surviving it's not at all living. living yeah so i i still felt like okay i did survive i'm still breathing but i'm not really living i can't really you know, especially when I noticed that I can't do my work properly. So I had to change from my sales job, which I actually liked. And it was fun. You were doing... so freaking good at it. It oh, was good word. for a while, for sure. And I, I tried my best. You know, I no, I mean, and... you, you were very good at it from how I knew you, right? You mm. were, ex and you definitely excelled. You could see that in your, in the measures, you know, back at work, you could see that you were excelling at your job. But going back, it was just so different for you. Yeah. After yeah, the stroke, it's, right? It, yeah, it was different. And I pushed through it for like, I think four or five months because I didn't understand what is happening to me because after mm. the surgery, they had told me from the hospital, you have to go immediately to rehabilitation. And I went to the appointment that they had like an introduction and they told me, oh, we are so busy. We're going to take you as soon as possible. But they all, only took me like three months later uh so they had no space for me basically or i don't know there was like a miscommunication i don't know what it was and and being the same like you i thought i'm not gonna just sit on my feet for three months or who, who knows how long it's gonna take so i went uh, back to work 
and um, that uh, backfired you know in a while you know when I, I had all these uh, panic attacks because I couldn't do the things I used to do I didn't have the energy level I couldn't go to the meetings I had to I couldn't pay attention to people in meetings uh, it was just a mess so yeah um, I had a, a hard recovery and I still am of course, we are recovering forever, but I'm trying now to get more used to not being able to do certain things and being able to uh, say no to people. And uh, sometimes it's hard to explain a no because I think a lot of people still explain, uh, still expect when you say no to say like like what you said before, like oh yeah, I didn't want to say oh it's because I can't sign my name. Like, I don't, mm. I don't want to say to people, no, it's concentrated because of my brain injury. I feel that's so personal in a way yes, that I don't want to share that so with strangers. True. I mean, not, it's, you know, we're yes. sharing it in a podcast with the world, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it is, it, it, it's difficult to be vulnerable in a setting where all of a sudden someone expects something from you, right? On a work, mm. on a professional level, and you cannot explain why you can't do something without having to share something personal uh, but it's not the space you it's 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 so difficult because you can't explain without being personal but you don't want to be personal you don't mm. want to share this, yeah. this 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 thing with someone and especially in a work setting when you decide to start sharing these personal things and people don't hear you, which also happened in your case, yeah. which also happened in my case, where people think she's making things up. She is, you know, she's dragging this out. She is making it worse than what it is. Look, she's fine. Mm. It's, it makes you feel like you can't share these things, right? You can't yeah. be completely yeah. honest. And then in a way, you also want to seem normal because you know in, your, in yourself that you're never yes. going to be normal, but you want to feel at least in some parts that you are normal. It's just such a contradiction. But It's, it's a human <laughs> social yeah. thing, right? You want to feel normal. You want to look good and feel good and present well. And it's, it's, it's also part of our job, right? It, well, your job now still, kind of. But mm. it was part of being this confident person who can speak up on a level to much older individuals who's been yeah. in the tech industry for many years. Here is like a 25 year old, you know, girl woman, you know, trying to make her, her, you know, herself, you know, heard in a setting which is also new on so many levels yeah. for women and for girls and for... It's not sustainable. It was not sustainable no. anymore. And uh, I was like, oh, I hope that, you know, I can do this and I still want to. And I'm still trying my best and it's it's going better, I must say. But uh, you never know, you know, it's, is it sustainable? I don't know. I hope so. What is, what, what, what was the breaking point? Was there like one incident that kind of shifted your thinking from yes i'm gonna hold on to this job to no i, I for the uh, sales job you mean right yes right so you you're the transition from mm. one role to into another like was there one well, incident or like a day that you can specifically remember or was it just the accumulation of everything it was the repetition of the same thing because I was having a panic attack with huge amounts of crying and, 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 and like no, 
almost like I couldn't breathe and it was happening almost every evening because I just had consumed mm. all my energy. I had consumed way over the capacity that I had and it uh, it just ended me kind of. I can't do it anymore. Why is this happening? And uh, at therapy, I actually talked about this and the therapist said, something and then I realized why and that's when I decided you know to to stop it and see if I can do something else in the company because she said Mm -hmm. obviously you are uh, over consuming yourself and you're using energy and uh, capacities that you don't have anymore so it's not Mm -hmm. sustainable you need to stop it and you need to uh, discuss with them tell them what the problem is and you know find something else or else you know look into other things um so yeah I had kind of like how do you call that like I saw the light at the end of the tunnel when she said oh it's happening because of this because I was not putting one and one I thought why am I crying every evening and why I think it's so difficult Uh, and then I thought probably it's just because it's Monday today and uh, like I was (laughs) was trying but you almost you don't know in your deepest and darkest times Alexandra I don't know if you can agree it's almost as though your 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 survival instinct that like, kicks in, and although you're struggling, it's almost as though if somebody were to ask you, like, like you and I, like, how are you doing? You'd be like, I'm okay, like I'm mm. fine, right? It's 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 difficult to get to a point where you have to admit, like, I am not freaking fine. Yeah, exactly. I'm not okay. Like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. Because it sounds like you're admitting to failure, kind of. Yes. And both mm. of us are these extremely driven, highly capable individuals. At least, I think I still am. I'm not speaking down to myself, but there was in a, a different big part. Way. I think yes, we in are. a big part, we yeah. have to say goodbye to a certain amount of things. Mm. Yeah. It's just hard to admit that your life is not your life the same anymore but uh, I'm still grateful in a way that you know we got up to here we have learned a lot we still have a lot to learn but I think we've picked up on quite some things and it's great to be able to do this now and um, and I think there's a lot of people out there who are having so many questions on this and I hope it helps them and I hope they ask questions so that we can give you know our experience so to speak to them in the future yeah yeah I think the big thing that both of us said is that it's almost like an old computer I felt like our bodies that we switched on and you know when a computer starts making that Mm -hmm. extremely like heavy fan noise and it's overheating and it's you trying to open another window and it just won't open that's almost like what it felt like right you were forcing um the hardware (laughs) being our bodies to do a certain amount of things that we just couldn't process anymore on the inside. And I think for both of us, and we're going to talk about it more in, you know, upcoming episodes, but we both got to a point where we had to draw a line Mm. and be like, like, I can't do this. I can't do X, Y, and Z anymore. I remember at that point I was so, emotionally exhausted that it's just an unspeakable um, feeling that I had when I would finally like just drew the line and said like 
up to here and no more. And we can talk about that in a different episode of exactly what that point is mm. and what that line is that I'm referring to. But Thank you so much for sharing some of the things with me that I also didn't even know. You too. You too. So much information that helps uh, knowing. And I'm sure everyone it. Mm. I really, I hope, really that... hope everyone joins us to the next uh, episodes as well. Yes. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Hope to have you back soon. Yes. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.